Kids, if you want to come on up and take a seat on the front pew, it is. Come on, everybody, let's go sit down. Uh, yes, you can sit on the chest, but not everybody sit on the chest. I know because there's not enough room, but a couple of you can do it. I want to tell you guys a really cool story. Now, <clears throat> you asked if you could sit on the chest. The problem is I need to use the chest for my story. So can I get you guys to stand up? And can you put the all these, uh, these uh, not the big ones, but put all the little ribbons back inside. Here's another one on the floor here. And then I need two big guys, please, to pick up that chest and bring it right here in front of me. Okay, everybody take a seat. And move. Shane, can you move back a little? There you go. There we go. Perfect. Now, okay, everybody go ahead and take a seat and I'll show you what I'm going to do. Okay, everyone sit down, please, Shane. I need to show you something. Now, look at how you guys are sitting on the bench. See how you're sitting at a t in our houses and at our restaurants and in different places that we go to eat food. This is what we do, right? Yeah. We sit on our bottom, either on a chair or on a bench. Our head is up. Our feet are near the floor, right? That's not how they would eat a, a meal when Jesus was on the earth. They didn't sit like this in chairs. Do you know how they would sit? Yeah. Go ahead. Not crisscross, not on their knees. Close. Let me show you. I'm not going to do it. I can't physically do it. But can you come up over here and sit right here? I want you to sit, but I want you to sit with your feet behind you. No, behind you, like laying out, like, like, like you're laying down. Laying your, on your tummy. Now, turn on your side. Face out. There you go. Now keep your feet behind you. Stay on your elbow, and that's how you would eat. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, go ahead and keep staying that way for a minute. Stay that way for just a minute. Yep. Now, see, the food would be on the table. Normally, the table would actually be a little bit lower than this. It wouldn't be as tall as this. And your plate would be right there in front of you, and you would pick up the food with your hand, and you would eat. You would only use your right hand. You know why? Why? Well, I can't answer that question. Guys, I tell you, in Jesus's culture, they only use the right hand for eating. The left hand was used for cleaning your body. Okay? You never ate with your left hand. You only ate with your right hand. So they would lean on their left elbow and then they would eat. But their feet would be out like this. So there would be people sitting all the way around the table like this with their feet sticking out. Okay, you can go ahead and take a seat back where you were. Let me now read to you a story about a dinner party that Jesus went to. It says this. When Jesus was at the village called Bethany, he came to the house of a man whose name was Simon. Simon used to have a skin disease called leprosy, but Jesus had healed him. And there was a woman who came to the party 
while they were all gathered around the table. And the woman came up behind Jesus and stood by his feet. So imagine you're Jesus. You come on up over here and lay like you were. Who wants to be the lady? Come on over here, Audrey. Stand by Jesus's feet. Okay. Now, this woman, we're not sure who she is according to the book I'm reading, but we think her name was Mary. And Mary came and she had a jar. Now, I don't have a big jar, but we'll make, we'll pretend like this is it. Okay. This was, she had this beautiful jar and it was filled with a very expensive ointment like oil or maybe a like a like uh like yeah go ahead he, he used it to wash feet. exactly and what mary did was she broke it open and she poured this out onto jesus's feet and then it says that she wiped his feet with her hair and then it said now don't actually do this then she says She kissed Jesus's feet. That sounds so crazy. But what she was doing was she was saying to Jesus, I love you. Thank you for what you've done for me. I love you. And you know what's so crazy? That ointment that she broke the jar open and poured out. If she had sold that ointment, she could have gotten enough money to feed somebody for a whole year. That's how expensive that ointment was. And you know what the people at the party did? What is she doing wasting that good ointment? She should have sold that and given the money to the poor. And you know what Jesus said? Stop being mean to her. Let me read it to you. This is what he said. It's so cool. He said... Why are you being mean to her and giving her trouble? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have poor people with you, but you will not always have me. And in doing what she did, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has helped to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, listen to this. Wherever my story is proclaimed in the whole wide world, what this woman has done will be told in her memory. And you know what that means? Jesus said her act of love, her act of showing kindness to Jesus was so important to Jesus that he wanted all of us thousands of years later to know that she did this. It, it was an expensive. It was it was it cost her a lot. She could have had a lot of money if she had sold it. But instead, she chose to give it to Jesus because it was important and she wanted to show love for him. Now, that was called that jar that it was in. It was called an alabaster jar. Alabaster is a kind of stone. And they had actually carved the stone to be a jar and then put the oil or the ointment down in it and then sealed the the top of the jar with another piece of alabaster that then made it like a solid piece. But then she broke that lid off and then she was able to pour the ointment out. Well, back about 60 or 60, 70 years ago, there was a woman who lived in the United States and she was reading this story out of the Bible and she was thinking, you know what? 
I love Jesus. I want to do something like like she did. Not pour oil on somebody's feet and wash it with my hair and kiss him. But I want to show my love for Jesus. And you know what she did? She took the money that she had. It was a lot of money. And she gave it to the Church of the Nazarene to be able to build buildings where poor people lived. They were building churches or schools or hospitals or pastor's houses. And she came to her pastor. She said, I want to give this money like the woman did in the story with the alabaster jar. I want to give this money to, to, to honor God and to show my love for God. And the church of the Nazarene said, you know, that's a great idea. And so not only in that local church, but all over the whole world, churches of the Nazarene, every single year from that time until now, twice a year, we take what we call an alabaster offering. And so what we do is we ask the people of our churches to save money in jars. And then we take the jar every every February and every September and we open up our jars and it's, there we go. And we put it into this box. And this money that's going to, I'll have to do mine later because it doesn't want to all come out. This money that I'm giving to the alabaster offering, every penny that comes into the alabaster offering is going to go to help build churches or hospitals or schools or pastors homes around the world where there are poor people. And you know what's really cool? I don't know for a fact because I couldn't find the paperwork saying it was true, but I have been told that this building that we're in right now was paid for using alabaster offering money. In other words, somebody else gave money so we could have a church building. Isn't that cool? And that's what I wanted you guys to know about. Not just that we do this offering, but I want you to know. So Shane, I need you to sit down, ma'am. One of the things I want you to know is this. If you love God and you want to do something to honor God and to please God by giving of yourself, God may choose to say that your gift, your act of sacrifice might be used to bless hundreds, maybe thousands of people around the world. All you doing is just saying, I love you, Jesus. I just love you. And I want to give this to you. And God may say, that's wonderful. And thank you. But he may also use it to bless Thousands of people around the world, just like our church was built by somebody who gave money. If you give money or if you do something for God, maybe God can use you to bless somebody else. So that's what I want to talk to you about. The alabaster offering and Mary who started the whole thing because she loved Jesus so much. Let's pray. God bless these kids. Help them, Lord, to come to an understanding of sacrifice through love and what it means to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on back to your class. Okay, see you later. Well, for those of you who have been following along on this timeline that I handed out weeks and weeks and weeks ago, we are in Holy Week as far as the study goes, and we are currently in chapter 26 of the book of Matthew. So if you want, open up your book, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, and... 
If you take the time to look through it, you're going to see it goes on for pages and pages. And then 27 goes into the crucifixion. And then finally 28. And then we're done with the book of Matthew. So we only have three Sundays left today, next Sunday and the following Sunday. And then we're going to start a different study. And as I've been prayerfully reflecting, trying to discern what God would have me preach this morning and again next Sunday. What I've what I have determined the Lord wants me to talk about is in this particular book, uh, a chapter, we see two stories of men who were struggling in their relationship with Jesus. Two, two men make really poor choices. One of the men's name is Peter. The other man's name is Judas. And I was going to try to look at both of them in one. I can't and, and do and do a good um, a good study on both of them. We have to take the two weeks. So this week we're going to be looking at Peter out of the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Next week we'll be looking at Judas out of the book of Matthew 26 and 27. <clears throat> but if you'll turn with me, <clears throat> excuse me, to Matthew chapter 26. We're doing a, we're going to do a lot of reading this morning. I hope it, it doesn't get tedious, but you have to read through it in order to understand what's going on. So Matthew chapter 26, we just told the kids the story of Jesus being anointed at Simon the leper's house in Bethany. And then in chapter 26, verse 14, we see where Judas got upset about that offering that was made. And that was the thing that put him over the edge. And he then went to the high priest and said, what will you give me if I turn him over to you? Now, again, we're going to look at Judas's storyline next week, but that's where we're at in this. Okay. <clears throat> so verse 17 um, and following talks about Jesus spending the last night with his friends, having the Lord's Supper. And then verse uh, thirty. 31, 31 of chapter 26 says, Jesus then said to them, well, let's go to 30 because that gives us a little bit of, 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 of uh, understanding where we're at. When they had sung a hymn, they left the upper room and they went to the Mount of Olives. So they were in Jerusalem. They celebrated their last meal. They were in the upper room. And then they left that upper room, walked through the streets of Jerusalem, down through what I believe is the Kidron Valley, up into the Mount of Olives. And now Jesus is up in the Mount of Olives in an area known as the Gethsemane, which was a place where oil was produced and processed. It was a garden area that was known as the Gethsemane. It was a place that he would go with his friends often when they were in the Jerusalem area and they would camp out at night. So he had taken his friends there to the Mount of Olives, to the place as known as the Gethsemane. And verse 31, it says, when Jesus, then Jesus said to his friends, you will all fall away because of me this night. That's a nice way to end a good evening together. We just had a good evening. We just shared a great meal. I've instituted the Lord's Supper. We sang a hymn. We've walked through the dark and been quiet. And now I'm telling you one of my final teachings. You're all going to fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
Then he says, but after I'm raised, I'll go up before you to Galilee. They hadn't a clue what he was talking about. All they heard was, what? We're going to fall away? What? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, oh, they might fall away, but I'll never fall away. And Jesus looked at him, verse 34. Peter, listen, I am telling you the truth. This very night, before the rooster crows at the dawn, you are going to not only fall away, but you're going to deny me three times. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And and we're going to read more about that on Wednesday night. For those of you coming to the Bible study, we're going to skip past that for, for now. So let's go to verse 47. While Jesus was speaking with his disciples, Judas came, who was one of the twelve. And with Judas came a great crowd with swords and clubs from the, uh, excuse me, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, before we go any farther, we're still in the book of Matthew, but I want to move us now to the book of John. And the reason I'm doing it is we're going to get a little bit more detail than Matthew gave us. So we're still in the same storyline. Jesus has just taken his friends outside of the city of Jerusalem. They're in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's just told them they're all going to fall away. And Peter has just said, I won't fall away. And they're all going, neither will we, neither will we, neither will we. Well, let's go to John chapter 18. And we'll pick up the story. Excuse me. John chapter 18, starting at the very first verse. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. That was the garden of Gethsemane. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Jesus, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. That's an interesting thing. Clubs, torches, out for blood. Where is he? Where is he? Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. Boom, they all fall down. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? Verse seven. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, pointing to his friends. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? And so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus 
and bound him. <clears throat> First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had, who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man to die for all the people. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're also, you also are not one of those, of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. And then it talks about Jesus being before the high priest. And then verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself so that they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Now, what we didn't hear there, we will find in Luke chapter 22. So turn now to Luke chapter 22. I'm trying to fill in all the gaps before we start talking about this. So basically where we're at right now is Judas has led a group of a crowd of people with torches and pitchforks to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. Jesus is arrested. The, the disciples scatter. If you look in Mark, we're not going to. But it's such a chaotic scene. It says in the book of Mark, there was a young man who was standing in the edges of the, of the woods in the garden area. And he was grabbed by the linen uh, garment that he was wearing. It was just a loincloth. They grabbed him by that and he ran naked through the streets trying to get away. That's how chaotic and crazy it was. And Jesus was arrested and all of the disciples scattered. But G G Peter follows at a distance, but he's following and he's with another disciple. We're told in John, it's a disciple who knows the high priest. And then the guy who knows the high priest gets Peter into the courtyard of the high priest. So he's not, on, not out in the streets because it's not safe. And he's in there. But now look at Luke chapter 22, verse 61 and following. Or verse 60. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So we have a story of a man who literally is in the inner circle of Jesus's friends. I mean, Jesus had hundreds of people following him and in the, in the, in the height of his, of his teaching ministry. But when it got boiled down, he only had maybe 20 or 30 who were part of the regular crew. And of that, there were the 12 apostles. But even of the 12 apostles, there were three, Peter, 
James and John. When Jesus was at his deepest pain, when Jesus was needing his greatest support, whom did he call? Peter, James, and John. Join with me in this time of prayer in the garden at Gethsemane. Again, we're going to look at that on Wednesday night. So Peter is one of the intimates with Jesus. Jesus says, tonight, all of you will be scattered, just like a shepherd, a flock of sheep is scattered when the shepherd is taken out. Because something's going to happen tonight in just a little while, when my betrayer is coming, and I'm going to be taken from you, and you will all flee and scatter. And Peter Peter, who speaks and yells from the, from the hip and doesn't think through everything he's going to say, goes, I'm never going to leave you. I'll, I'll fight to the death if it takes it. And then when it comes time, he actually cuts off the ear of one of the servants because I'm going to die. And Jesus is like, this is not what this is about. Put your sword away. And then he heals Malchus, the, the guy who, whose ear got cut off. And then Peter is left with, I, I don't know what to do. So he follows at a distance. And he's walking through the darkness, chaos, craziness, following the crowd of people who are taking Jesus to the chief priests to face his trial and ultimate execution. And he gets to the gate of the courtyard of the high priest, of the home of the high priest. And he has to stand outside because he has no right to, to walk in there. But the disciple who's with him knows and has access to the household of the high priest. So he goes in and then he talks with the girl who keeps the gate and he gets Peter admitted. And then he starts being looked at spuriously. People are going, who is this guy? What's he doing here? I've never seen him before. And one of them goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're with him? You're with him? Well, he, I know, is a follower of Jesus. So you must be one of them. I'm not one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he gathers around the coal fire and he's warming himself. And another guy and again, it's not in what we read this morning. I think it was in, in Luke that, that they actually said this. They said, you have a Galilean accent. You must be one of his disciples. And Peter goes, I am not. And then finally, the relative of Malchus, who Jesus cut the guy's ear off, he goes, I saw you in the garden. You were the guy that cut... And Peter screams, I don't know what you're talking about. And it says in one of the Gospels, he called down curses upon himself. Now, what does that mean? The Bible's really polite. Jesus was a fisherman. I mean, Peter was a fisherman. Peter had lived a coarse and rough life. When he was pressed up against the wall, he started cussing and fussing. I don't know what the blankety blank you're talking about. What the blankety, leave me a blankety blank alone. And what happens instantly at that moment? And he looks down and he catches the eye of his Lord who just 
an hour or two earlier had predicted all of this. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the unspoken statements that passed back and forth between Jesus and Peter in that, that instant. But it says that Peter was cut deeply and he left. He walked out of the courtyard and he fell to pieces. I, in my brain, always imagined him just going outside against the wall and, but I don't think, I, now that I've studied, I don't see that. I see him bolting, wanting to get as far away as he possibly could from all of that. Fear, hatred, self-loathing, disgust, Shame, all of it, just running blindly through the streets, looking for someplace to find solace. And there's nothing. There's no one. I have betrayed. And less than 12 hours later, Jesus is dead and being placed in a tomb. The last thing Peter did before Jesus died was call down curses on himself denying he even has anything to do with the man and then looks him straight in the eye and recognizes what he's just done and there's nothing he can do to make it right nothing and he now spends Literally, the next 66, I mean 60 or so hours in fear and in trembling. We, we know if you go to the story of the resurrection morning that the disciples have gathered again in that upper room. And they've got the door locked for fear. And then ultimately the good word comes that Jesus has been raised from the dead or at least his body's not in the tomb and so Peter then runs with James, I mean with John, to that thing. And we'll get into that story some other day, a couple weeks from now. How did Peter get here? I mean, this is the man who had day-to-day intimate contact with God. This is the guy who literally stood up in the boat and said, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out to you. And he walked on water. But when it came down to the very bottom, he had no ability to withstand the pressure. Now, I want to fast forward in our storyline. So if you will, turn in the book of John to chapter 19. Excuse me, not 19. Chapter 20. If you look at chapter 20, verse 19 of the Gospel of John, this is the evening of the day 
on, on which Jesus raised from the dead. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the very first time ever that any follower of the Lord Jesus Christ received the Holy Spirit. It was after the resurrection of Christ. Prior to the death and resurrection of Christ, no one had the presence of the Holy Spirit with them. No one had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit with them. It was only after the resurrection that Jesus imparted the Holy Spirit to any of his followers. Now, we can keep going on and on and on, but let's, we don't have a lot of time to, 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 to continue to read, but I want to read in John chapter 21, this last bit. Now, again, we don't have time to give the whole story, but know that days have passed and Jesus appears to his friends <clears throat> and they have breakfast together on the side of the lake. And then finally, verse 15 of chapter 21, Peter and Jesus have a common, a private conversation. So verse 15 of chapter 21 in the gospel of John, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus turned to Simon Peter and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, let me preface, let me go back a little bit. I can't imagine Jesus doing this uh, in any way to cause harm. What I hear Jesus doing is he is coming alongside someone who needs to come alongside. So we're not told this, but I perceive that this is Jesus and John, Jesus and Peter walking down the beach. It's not sitting around the campfire with all the other people listening. I can't prove that, but that's my picture. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he looked at him and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What was the last thing Jesus said before his arrest in the garden? The shepherd is going to be taken and you, my followers, my sheep will be scattered. And Peter said, not me. I'll die with you. No one can ever make me leave you. And then Peter 
totally blows it, totally fails, betray, not betrays, but yeah, betrays Jesus. Imagine as Jesus pulled Peter aside on that beach that morning. Yes, Jesus is alive. Woohoo! Yes, Jesus is still blessing us. Woohoo! But I, I'm just not comfortable being alone with him because I, you don't understand. You, you don't know how, if you knew the depth of my, yeah, I know, I know he loves us, I know, but you don't understand. You don't, you weren't there to see him look at me when that rooster crowed. You, there is no fixing that. There is no way I have totally totally destroyed any opportunity I had for future ministry in the kingdom. He will never trust me again. He needed me in that moment and I failed him not just once, but three times. I know If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive my sins and he will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I understand that. And I have. I have asked for his forgiveness and I believe he has forgiven me. But he'll never trust me again. I wouldn't trust me again. Hey, Peter, let's go for a walk. I don't, I, um, no, come on, come on, let's go for it. Just you and me, let's go for a walk. Okay. So Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Good. Let's keep walking. Peter, let, let me ask you again. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. You know everything. You know everything. The one thing I've skipped in all of this, if you go back and read through John chapter 21, after Peter says, I love you, each time Jesus gives him an assignment. What is that assignment? Let's look at it. Chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, if you haven't got your finger there already, because I dropped mine a few minutes ago. Every time he said, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I love you. And then in verse 16, Jesus said, tend my sheep. In verse 17, Jesus said, um, no, 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 excuse me. Feed my lambs, verse 15. Then 16, he said, tend my sheep. Then 17, he said, 
feed my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus not only foretold of the scattering of the disciples and foretold Peter's failure, he then reinstituted the the flock and assigned a new shepherd. Because he was leaving. He was going to ascend to the Father. But there would be a need for a leader in the fledgling church that was forming that was going to have the sole responsibility for proclaiming the gospel and there needed someone at the helm. And Jesus said to Peter, I trust you. But he did it in a way that he was able to, if you will, expunge each of the three failings that Peter did that night. Do you love me? Yes. Okay, we're good. There's still two more. Do you love me? Yes. Okay, one more. Remember how you called down curses on yourself and how you vehemently denied me and all of the shame you owned? You can't hold any of that, Peter. Not while I got a job for you because this will keep you from doing that. Are you willing to release to me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're good. It's done. It's over with. And let me tell you from personal experience, shame is more debilitating than guilt. I can be guilty of sin and be forgiven of my sin and still walk in shame. And the enemy can hold that over me and make me feel less than and help me and make me feel like I can't be used and make me feel that I am not worthy. But once God removes the shame, I walk in power. I walk in an incredible authority. And so I want to encourage each of you guys, look at this story. If he can forgive and reinstate Peter... He can forgive anything you've done. And he can not only forgive you and make you no longer guilty, but he can remove the shame so that you no longer have to walk around with your head bowed, feeling like you're not able or not worthy or not that he has no use for you anymore. Sure, I'm his child, but if he only knew, he knows. That's the reason we're about to sing a song in just a moment when we do communion called He Knows My Name. Because Jesus knows everything about you. Everything. That's the one. That's the song, right? Who am I? My brain is just fried right now. Who am I? That the eyes who knew no sin would look on me in love. Jesus knows everything about you. Jesus knows everything you've ever done. And he still says, I desire you. And I will empower you by the Holy Spirit of God to walk the life that I'm calling you to live. If you will simply trust me and walk with me. Just like he did for Peter.
So he will do for you if you will release to him all of your stuff and trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I give you glory and honor. I thank you so much for this story of Peter, the one who brought so much shame on himself, but who you released by the power of your love and your grace. Lord, bless us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.